and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, Terry. Hello, Anita. So we spent September, which was Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, hearing firsthand from attempt survivors. Our guests, Mark and Janine, shared intimate details of their darkest days and their hard work and journeys back to lives of hope and healing. Today's guest, Craig Kramer, discusses mental health from a very different perspective. It would be easy to describe and define Craig by his impressive resume. It includes a law career, five years as chief of staff for a U.S. congressman, and several high-level positions during a 24-year career with Johnson & Johnson before recently retiring. But instead, today, we're focusing on one of his most important and challenging positions, that of being a father. So here now is Craig Kramer giving his voice to depression. When Craig's three children were younger, he traveled the globe for Johnson & Johnson, the largest healthcare company in the world. I worked on cancer, I worked on HIV, I worked on Ebola, uh, diabetes, obesity, uh, infant and maternal mortality, especially in some of the poorer countries around the world, the poor neighborhoods in, in the United States. So I, I was doing very meaningful work. Craig says he developed a reputation for being able to see global patterns and anticipate future changes and trends. Yet at home, Craig says he, like many, did not notice the early signs that his own family members were struggling. This mental health challenge sort of snuck up on us. Our kids were struggling in various ways. We had an eating disorder. Um, we had uh, anxiety and depression and uh, suicidality um, and 2013, uh, January 1, one of our children tried to take her life. And then um, halfway through the year, one of my brothers died of an opiate overdose. This was before we knew we had this epidemic of opiate use in the U.S. Um, So he was kind of the canary in the coal mine. In my own life, I'd had episodes of, in retrospect, kind of mild depression. I, I later found out that, you know, mental illness was all throughout the family. Once you start understanding and paying attention to it, you you realize you grew up surrounded by it. Before that understanding develops or is forced upon us, it can be really hard for a parent or caretaker to know what's normal and what's a serious problem in the making. And I I think that was the challenge. When when does something go from a, a... Developmental issue, you know, teenage teenagers are always going through phases, and sure. 
and they're growing, and you know, when is it that, and when is it a clinical issue? When is it when is it a crisis? It's sometimes hard to look back when you're when you're when you're busy having a life to to say, well, gee, I missed those signs, or we didn't do enough. Um, and and you can't you know you can't uh, second guess yourself. You do what you, you did the best you could, I think. Having been raised in a time when cancer was whispered about and referred to as the C word, and mental health conditions were called, well, nothing, because they were seldom acknowledged, Craig had to learn a lot. While he says his children's mental health problems started in 2003, it wasn't until a decade later, when they reached crisis level, that he really understood the stakes. Before you judge, note that research regularly cited by national mental health organizations finds it typically takes 10 years from the time symptoms of mental illness first appear until someone gets a correct diagnosis and proper treatment. Yeah, we fit the statistical model exactly. And fortunately, it wasn't too late. It was almost too late, but it took us 10 years to realize we needed to really go all in on trying to get the sort of support we needed. Um, and, and even then, it wasn't easy. You know, the, yeah. you get a lot of bad advice uh, <laughs> along the way yeah, from you people, people who, you, who you trust. So, um, so that was the suicide attempt and, and the death by overdose. Two years later, it was a son situation that reached crisis level. He won an NCAA soccer championship, and he was named to the all-tournament team. He scored a goal in the championship game. Uh, I mean, he really was at the top of his uh, his life at that point. And, and a month later, he was arrested and um, later became convicted of a felony for property destruction arising out of um, you know, a mental health episode uh, that involved substances. And so we spent, uh, well, we're still in, in that process, but it, we spent a good two years sorting through the criminal justice system and and then sorting through, you know, what was it that he needed that we had missed along the way. You know, when you when you focus on one child's acute struggles, oftentimes you uh, don't have you, you, the other children sort of short shrift and don't acknowledge that they may also be struggling. Um, so we got our hands full, and uh, those were just some of the many mental health uh, challenges that I think our family has been going through, our nuclear family, but also our extended family and and our, our larger community. As parents, how difficult it is to to function, to work, to sleep, to, I will say, breathe, when you don't have any reassurance that your children are okay or maybe even alive. And I choke up just asking that question because it kind of makes yeah. me sick. But how, as parents, do you handle that? There was a, a long period of years where... We did not sleep well because there was either a real threat or a potential threat. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't until very recently that I actually slept through the whole night and didn't wake up in the middle of the night thinking, you know, is everybody okay? Um, and so, um, and you know, we had real reason to be concerned about that. We'd had some suicide attempts. We had um, certainly lots of conversations, and, and we knew depression and anxiety and and substance use were real challenges for our kids. So, but it, but it is exhausting, and, and then you have to start worrying about your own mental health. And um, but there were so many nights where we went to bed not knowing whether we were all going to be there in the morning. Um, 
and also knowing that there was nothing we could necessarily do about it if we needed to get to sleep and recover. So, yeah, I, I, I think loss of sleep is the first, often the first sign that your mental health is going down, or, or it could be the first cause of that exactly. burnout, right? And I was, you know, I was struck by your, your recent interview with the couple because that was certainly a conversations that we had. I mean, you know, my wife and I disagreed on when it was an appropriate time for self-care versus um, really pressing yourself out there beyond your own limits. Um, and there's no right or wrong, but there, there's a, there, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. In addition to rest and other forms of self-care, Craig stresses the need for a plan and other caring members on the team that includes more than just professionals. You know, we learned how to develop um, support plans for our children, and, and it wasn't just the parents who were on the inner ring of that support plan. It was siblings and friends and uh, other family members who could be called upon and knew that they could be called upon or, or or had permission to check in on the individual and, and the individual would not be offended that, you know, aunt so-and-so is calling you to see how you're doing because it's understood this is the plan. A quick note that episodes 261 and 262 of this podcast are a detailed step-by-step guide for making a personalized safety plan for yourself or a loved one. It's a very good idea to have because it gives you the opportunity to spell out key decisions and choices for your care if and when you're ever in a situation that requires that help. And you get to make those choices when you're well. We, we made every mistake in the book and a few others, you know, and not all of it was our fault. I mean, there are a lot of system issues here. There's a whole stigma complex. There's uh, a lot of snake oil out there in the, in the mental health space, so... In fact, Craig's experiences have not led him to conclude that the current U.S. mental health system is flawed, but rather... There is no mental health system in America. There is a cancer system, and it comes in and it takes on a lot of the burden, and there's a lot of the information and education that you need. Um, that Those systems, by and large, do not exist in America. You have to build those systems yourself make the connections between primary and specialty care and, and fight the payers and do all the things that the system will do for you if you, if you have cancer. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to change so that it's, it should all be the same. It shouldn't be a different uh, ecosystem or different world. Having had intimate, first-hand exposure to the treatment of both life-threatening illnesses, Craig illustrates just how different those worlds are. And my, my dad went through a cancer episode, and it could not have been more different. Um, you know, first of all, the primary care doctors know all about cancer. They're on all the calls. They, they know what the, the treatment guidelines, first line, second line, third line treatment. When you talk to the specialists, the oncologists, the surgeons, they're differing of opinion around specific decision points, but they're all on the same page. Um, all of your friends and family bring you casseroles, and they want to know how they can help. I mean, that is the vision for the future for mental health. And it's the, the primary care doctors know something about it. Right now, they by and large don't. Uh, that they're on the journey with you. That insurance covers it all. Just like I mean, cancer, almost every penny is covered by insurance, including, by the way, the mental health uh, treatment that you get after surgery to make sure that you're dealing with your trauma and your anxiety and everything that comes along with cancer. 
that's covered in insurance interest. So that's the, that's what we're trying to create, and um, you know, there, there are a lot of people in the U.S. and around the world working on moving the system in that direction. Craig is far from the only one making the comparison between mental health care and cancer care. Mental Health America, for example, promotes a before-stage-four philosophy focused on screening for, noticing, and treating early symptoms of mental health issues to prevent the development of a more serious illness, just like we routinely do with other physical illnesses. The good news about mental health is there are effective treatments for most things. That is, is it's hard to connect yourself to those treatments. Because of the stigma and the fragmentation of the system and just the difficulty of navigating, most families will wait till stage four to finally ask for help and, and, and push hard enough to get it. And the system, frankly, is designed for that crisis care. Through all of your experiences, and mostly, I mean, personal, though I'm sure in your professional world you've heard plenty of stories, are there key takeaways? Are there things like if you could just sort of grab somebody by the shoulders and, you know, say, you really need to understand this, or this whole system isn't going to change, this whole experience is going to continue to be as isolated and dangerous as it currently feels for a lot of families? Well, everybody's on a journey, and, and often, um, you know, when I when I hear a parent say my child is lazy or, or doesn't care or, or isn't disciplined, I now know that that's, that's, all those are words that describe mental health issues. There's no child in the world who, who woke up in the morning who wanted to be lazy and indisciplined and get yelled at by their parents. They're struggling. So the first thing I think is to be aware that uh, – Anybody who seems like a bad kid is really a struggling kid. And, and then the question is whether um, you, you're at a stage where you need medical intervention or whether it's early enough that you can have sort of social um, and, and psychological and community intervention, so more connections to their peers, more, um, you know, better sleep. We talked about that, so, some form of physical activity is, is known as is, Correlate with better mental health, uh, making sure you're eating nutritious food and not the junk food that so many of us live on. Um, certainly getting off the screens a little bit just for your so your brain can slow down a little bit. The screens, if nothing else, they they get your neurons firing in a way that's not healthy to be on 24-7. And to remember that depression and other mental health conditions are not character flaws, weaknesses, or personal failings. They are absolutely legitimate medical issues. This is something that often is brain chemistry, or now it's gotten to a point where it is brain chemistry and, and also emotional hygiene issues that you're going to need a medical professional. And maybe you need medicine. Um, but at least get a medical professional to work with your child and your family to try to you know get back on, on, on course and I, I'm not a huge advocate for medicine, but I, you know, we all know people for whom medicine has been the answer and allow you to be a thriving person who happens to struggle a little bit with their brain health. How are your children, and how are you now? We are right now doing pretty well. Um, I always like to knock on wood because you know, yeah, I, the kids usually won't tell me till later that it wasn't going that all that well, but. Um, 
right now everybody seems to be in a, in a good place and uh, starting to build lives and careers and relationships and um, so we're we're taking advantage of this respite to add our blessings and and uh, you know we need our commitment to trying to make the changes to mental health which I think is our almost our family mission now is to do what we can to make people other people feel comfortable seeking care mm-hmm. help them navigate to that care while also trying to change the system in ways that we can So Terry, Craig really, his story really highlights how difficult it is for parents to navigate when their kids are having mental health crises, Mm -hmm. Um, even figuring out that that's what's going on. Like, what's the difference between normal, tough adolescence, which just gets tougher, it seems like, every year, and then adding in what mental health issues can do to that. And we're also, I think, as as child-focused a culture as we are, like, we think we have to put the kids first. I've always taught my clients that we need to look at it in a different way. And Craig, I think, really kind of brings this out. Children rest on the foundation of their parents' mental health. So parents' mental health is the foundation. You want your kids, is like your furniture, or whatever you're building, to sit on a solid foundation. But parents, as the foundation, have to rest on solid ground. Hmm. And Craig talked about the fact that without resources and support, and readily accessible information and sort of parents being able to have this support system or the fact that it does take this village, parents can struggle with their own mental health as they're dealing with their children's mental health issues. If parents' mental health isn't good, it really compromises their ability to help their kids or get resources. So I've always said we kind of need to do it the other way around. Build and, and investigate the support system Parents, take care of yourselves first. The oxygen Mm -hmm. mask idea, take care of yourself first, even though it seems counterintuitive to do that. Then we've got what we need to take care of the kids. We've got the resources and the support network. We've got good mental health ourselves. Then we can help our kids. We can't say we got to put the kids' mental health first when it's in crisis. Nothing else is there. Nothing else is there to actually make Mm -hmm. that work. It's an important lesson, and it's also... Uh, really hard to do, I think. And Craig shared in the interview that he and his ex-wife had very differing views on that because when you say, I am going to blank for myself, whether that's get out for a bit or Mm -hmm. go to bed when things are riled or whatever it might be, that can be looked at and seen as checking out. That can be like, how irresponsible. Well, what do you mean his child's in crisis? I just saw him at the gym. I mean, there's so much judgment and everything around that too. And perhaps risk. I mean, it's a really hard thing to know when it's safe to say, you know what? I'm leaving, you know, because what if something Uh happens? Uh That's on you, you know? It'd be easy to think that it's if you'd only made a different choice, if you'd only focused on them instead of yourself, that's that's hard. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't think it's, I mean, nothing can ever be black and white all or nothing. There are going to be times where you'll need to compromise your self-care or how you get that based on whether you're at a critical place or, you know, if you are a parent and you're afraid to leave the house, we're going to still recommend you do something good for yourself mm-hmm. inside the house. Like we're, there's going to be those times where we don't want to give it all up. It's not all or nothing, my kid or me. 
You know, it's got to be, I still matter as the parent. I still need to be able to access, you know, help for myself, self-care resources. And at the same time, my kid is important. It's not an either or. Got it. So there's a whole nother aspect to Craig's story too, which is the corporate part. And the day his daughter got out of a residential treatment program was the same day he got the call that his son was going to be arrested and the same day that he was let go from his job, in part because his performance, because of everything that was going on in his life and his family, Mm -hmm. had been compromised. Had he been in the middle of a family health crisis, and, you know, we're differentiating that from mental health, because she can't say Mm -hmm. that, he would have had very different support system, right? It would have been, hey, how's your daughter doing? How's your wife doing? How's your son doing? Whatever it might have been. You mm-hmm. know, the casserole syndrome, you know, what can we do? Mm-hmm. You know, can we get you out for the night? You know, all those things. But when, because of stigma, yes. we keep what's going on in our house silent and private because it's a shameful secret, then we can't get that support. So he marched back in and said, hey, let me tell you what's been going on. And, you know, he told his peers, he told mm-hmm. the higher ups and he told board members. And Johnson & Johnson ended up creating a position of mental health ambassador that for him Mm. and it was originally Mm -hmm. intended as i recall to be an internal position and then because of the great need in the community in the world it has become an outward facing position again he recently retired Mm -hmm. but his work continues and to be able to say hey you know compassionate leave or whatever those programs or expressions are you know to say Mm -hmm. I apologize if I wasn't as, well, I don't know what the conversation would be, you know, that I, that my focus has been a little off. My child's in crisis. And to be able to say that the same way you uh-huh. could say, my child's been in the hospital. Um, so right. that is uh, another part of this discussion that I think is is really important. And I think more and more and more since COVID, businesses and corporations are understanding that line and the need to acknowledge that mental health, ours and the people in our spheres, affects us and our performance. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, having having the title, yes. having a position of a mental health ambassador, having the words to describe compassionate care leave um, so that, again, nobody's whispering about it. No, I mean, people can talk about it. Mm-hmm. If we can talk about it, we've got the words for it. Next thing is people are going to learn how to support people in the position yeah. that Craig was in with his kid. So that's what we're looking for. It's some of it is stigma that people won't come over with the casserole and they won't come over for, for respite. Some of it is we haven't, we have, because we can't talk about it, people don't know mm-hmm. what to do in that situation. So again, first things first, we got to be able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Once we can talk about it, we can educate and it's okay then to say, here's the role I can take to support you and your family. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that this was a positive thing that came out of mm-hmm. that. I'm just going to end real quickly reading a little bit from, something that Craig wrote. He said, nothing would have changed if I had not started talking about my challenges. The tradition of keeping personal and professional lives separate, we now understand, especially in the mental health space, has led to untold tragedy and trauma. Corporations will lose very good employees because they didn't take the time to give them the support they needed. Mm -hmm. And of course, then he also cautions employees not to share everything about their struggles, just enough to get the support they need because we Mm -hmm. are still entitled to privacy. Yes, yes. Good point. Yeah, and we'll link to a video that Craig made with Johnson & Johnson that addresses a lot of these topics, and it's a very concise and obviously professionally produced video that is well worth the time it takes to watch. So thanks, Craig, and thanks, Anita. Thanks, Terry. 
truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.